You are tuning into the Rise Station podcast. I'm your host, Pranella Harris, licensed mental health professional, bringing you everyday wellness tips and mental health education. If you're joining me for the first time, welcome. Go ahead and subscribe to this podcast so that you may receive weekly alerts every Monday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time when a new episode is uploaded. And listen, if you like what you hear, go ahead and give me a glowing review so that we may get this podcast and content out to as many people as possible. I want to go ahead and shout out to my Rise tribe. These are my loyal listeners who continue to rise and vibe with me week after week. I appreciate your support. Today's episode, I'm discussing anxiety and how it impacts our bodies and what we can do to manage it. But before we get into it, let's hear a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Restorative Family Services. We are a behavioral health practice. Our mission is to provide quality, affordable, and accessible mental health care to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. If you are struggling and in a dark place, we are here to help. Visit our website at www.restorativefamilyservices.com. This podcast is brought to you by Private Practice, where we provide leadership training and practice management coaching specific to helping mental health professionals build their private practice to provide a much needed service for their community. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.privatepractice.com. Have you ever experienced your heart beating faster racing thoughts, sweaty palms, and just an overall feeling of nervousness right before a big presentation or perhaps meeting someone new for the first time? If so, chances are this was anxiety. We all have at some point experienced anxiety. Our anxiety is our body's way of protecting itself against external danger. Our anxiety is really helpful and has kept us alive over history. Our anxiety has evolved over time as our species has evolved. Early in our human experience, we were hunters and gatherers and our anxiety was used to alert us of external danger. It was like what we consider the modern day 911 dispatch system. The moment we encountered something potentially dangerous, it would kick in. Our anxiety response would kick in. Let's say we saw a venomous snake. The eyeballs would make a call or send a signal to regions of our brain, the amygdala and the hypothalamus. Think of the amygdala as the 911 dispatcher. You know, that's the person on the phone. 911, how can I help you? What's your emergency today? This region of the brain is constantly scanning the brain for emergencies, right? And the hypothalamus, it is the region of the brain that we should consider like the emergency response unit, right? So when the amygdala gets information that an emergency is happening, it contacts the hypothalamus. Hold on, let me transfer you over to the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus says, Houston, we have a problem. So the hypothalamus then takes it from there. It is responsible for sending hormones to the appropriate areas of the body so that you can deal with whatever the danger is. So whether it is the fight, flight, or freeze response, the hypothalamus is making that judgment call, 
Okay. So that in a nutshell is basically how anxiety works. You know, there's something that happens in our external world. It then gets sent to the amygdala region of the brain, which alerts the hypothalamus. Hey, here's how we should handle this problem. And then we act. That all happens in a split matter of seconds, right? Our biology still works the same, but the threat is no longer focused on external primitive threats um, that we would have encountered as hunter and gatherers. Because we have evolved cerebrally, meaning most of the things that will make us anxious or we feel threatened by are internal. We now have internal dangers, right? We still have some external dangers, but now we have to respond to also internal dangers, which usually come from our thoughts and internal dialogue, how we interpret things, what we say to ourselves can create an internal crisis as well. So I want you to keep that in mind. So our anxiety can be triggered by both internal and external dangers, right? Some signs of anxiety, common symptoms of anxiety would be feeling restless, you know, wound up on edge, being easily fatigued, having difficulty concentrating, being irritable, having headaches, muscle aches, stomach aches, or unexplained pains in your body, difficulty controlling your feelings of worry, having sleep problems such as difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep. Maybe you're getting up thinking about the presentation you got to do tomorrow, thinking about the bills that you have to pay, things like that. Here's some common triggers for anxiety, right? Our anxiety is usually triggered by caffeine. You know, maybe we're having too much caffeine, which is making us more anxious. Believe it or not, a messy home environment also are common triggers for anxiety. You know, when your house is in disarray, you're worried about getting it cleaned, how much work is going to take to get it organized. Maybe you're neglecting yourself. This could be not getting enough sleep, not eating enough, or not going to the gym, exercising, getting enough time to just decompress. Um, So, you know, self-neglect, doing for others more so than you're doing for yourself, not grooming yourself, not just not taking care of yourself could lead to feeling more anxious. Also, I talked about this just a minute ago is not enough sleep, you know, sleep deprivation can really wreak havoc on your anxiety. Stress, you know, just having a lot on your plate can definitely lead to anxiety. Finances, uh, struggling to pay bill, maybe you're going through a financial hardship, unemployment. Social gatherings are another trigger for anxiety. You know, being around new people, being in a crowded environment with a lot of different personalities. And work environment can also be a trigger for anxiety. You know, maybe you're in a hostile work environment or very stress or high stress work environment can all be triggers for anxiety. So I want to talk to you guys about the anxiety roller coaster. All right. If you've ever been on a roller coaster, you have a pretty good idea of how anxiety plays out, right? When you're on a roller coaster, there is a very slow and steady climb to the highest point of that ride, right? 
And there, you know, on that incline or that acceleration toward the peak of this ride, this is where most of the adrenaline is released, right? Because you're anticipating what's going to happen once you get to that peak of that ride, right? That's a lot like our anxiety, right? Because we have worry thoughts that are like primers toward the peak of our anxiety. So those worry thoughts are like, you know, we're being hit with those worry thoughts slow and steady, which actually increases our anxiety the more we start to worry. And I'm going to get into a little bit of that a little later, but just go with me there. You know, our worry thoughts are kind of like that incline on that roller coaster, right? Once we reach that peak, we let out screams and we release our built up anticipation, our built up fear of what's going to happen once we get to that peak. When we reach that peak of our anxiety, we are having, you know, most of our symptoms. When we reach the peak of our anxiety, that's when we're seeing the racing thoughts, the heart beating faster. We're probably experiencing sweaty palms, muscle tension, those things. Um, we're not thinking rationally once we hit that peak of our anxiety, similar to the peak of a roller coaster, right? And then, you know, once you're at that peak of that roller coaster, you're dropped and then you're like, you know, in full swing of the ride. So just like that peak of the anxiety, right? It will then drop down because our bodies just cannot maintain that heightened sense of adrenaline for too long. So we end up releasing hormones to calm our body down. So it's similar to like a roller coaster, I like to think of it as the anxiety roller coaster. Now, let's reimagine this from the view of our anxiety, right? Our thoughts, specifically our worry thoughts, are like metaphorically representing our climb to the peak of that roller coaster. Perhaps we think to ourselves, you know, as we're getting up there, worry thoughts might sound something like this. What if I meet this new person and do something that might embarrass myself? We go up one chink on the ride. What if the person, the new person finds me unattractive? We go up another chink on the incline of that roller coaster. What if they think I'm uncool? What if I run out of things to say? What if I freeze? What if I have a panic attack? And that leads us right there to that peak of our anxiety, right? Because we have been essentially scaring ourselves, allowing fear to take us up higher and higher up this peak of this roller coaster. Right. And so now we start to see the physical signs and symptoms of anxiety, the ones that I just talked about. We start to see the racing thoughts. We start to see the racing heartbeat, the rapid breathing, the muscle tension, the sweating. And, you know, it's a very uncomfortable situation because now with those thoughts and our physical symptoms, now we feel that we are losing control. We can't bring ourselves down. All right. So when I typically work with clients in my private practice, when I talk to them about this anxiety roller coaster, there are sweet spots where we can implement coping skills, but at the peak is not one of them. So anywhere before or after the peak is where we want to implement coping strategies. And I'm going to go over some coping strategies in a few minutes. But it's important to know the timing, right? Because once you're at the peak, you're just going to have to ride the roller coaster down until you get down to more rational thoughts. But anytime you're 
going up the ladder to that roller coaster. Anytime you're noticing those worry thoughts, what if thoughts, those thoughts of you losing control, those thoughts of you fearing that you're not going to be successful. Anytime you recognize those thoughts is a great opportunity for you to implement a coping strategy. Now, when you get to the peak of it, it's just literally impossible for you to be rational enough to think of a coping strategy and implement it because you're already at the peak. So if you get there, that's okay. You know what? Ride the peak and then we can kind of game plan as you're coming down. Okay, what can I do better next time? What coping strategies can I use and at what point? Okay. Progress, not perfection. All right, so here are some ways that you can cope during those sweet spots, right? Anytime before you get to the peak of an anxiety attack. Very first technique is, listen, anxiety is not an easy thing to go through, especially alone, and especially if you've been dealing with it for a very long time. So the very first thing I would encourage you to do is link up with a good mental health provider in your town or city and get some support, you know, get someone who's going to be able to coach you through this. So get help from a local professional. That's number one. Number two, start with deep breathing. I love diaphragmic breathing. If you want to, you can Google or YouTube what diaphragmic breathing is so that you can learn the skill. But diaphragmic breathing is going to be the first one. Now you're going to couple these techniques, but diaphragmic breathing is my go-to. I like to start with that because it gives you time and space to think about the coping skills that you're going to implement. So you start with at least four to five reps of diaphragmic breathing which allow you time to get your thinking brain on deck because a lot of times we're triggered and we immediately want to react, but we just need to open up a little bit of space so that we can have a more rational approach to what we're going to do. So we're going to stop, breathe, allow ourselves some time to think, and then we're going to go into the next techniques. All right. So one technique would be to stay present. Stay present is a grounding technique. Episode 49 in our podcast called Stay Present goes over and reviews how to do this grounding technique. But the grounding technique is to really remind yourself of where you are, to really be present so that you're not thinking about the future. You're not thinking about pending doom, pending failures, but you're really grounding yourself into the here and now, which is a tool to distract your thoughts and really bring you present. So that coupled with a diaphragmic breathing is a great tool to use for anxiety. Number four is challenge your worry thoughts and replace them with positive thoughts. So if you're telling yourself, I'm going to embarrass myself challenge that. Well, I've successfully met new people and, you know, it went well. People tend to like me. Or if your thought is fearing a presentation, I prepared for this presentation. I'm going to be helping more people with the information that I'm presenting. So 
challenge your worry thoughts and replace them with more encouraging and positive thoughts. Number five, plan worry time. Sometimes we are ridden with anxiety from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. So if we encounter a worry thought, we're going to consciously and intentionally say, you know what, I'm going to purposely think about this later. I'll deal with this when I have to deal with it, or I'll deal with this after I get off of work, or I'll deal with this after school, or deal with that as it gets closer to the time where I actually have to perform, where the time where I actually have to meet these people, rather than spending a whole week for, you know, obsessing a whole week of worrying and dealing with anxiety symptoms when the meeting isn't until two weeks from now. You're allowing yourself to create some space where you can have some reprieve in between anxious thoughts. So really planning that worry time, right? And the more time that you can go without worrying means that you're creating a habit for yourself where you can decide not to worry. And then it's less likely that you will need to engage in those obsessive, anxious thoughts. By you postponing the worry, you're actually becoming stronger in your ability to offset worry in itself. All right. Number six, prove it. Be brave. So a lot of times, We have these irrational thoughts about worst case scenarios that are unlikely to happen. So be brave, take risk and prove it. Like if you're fearing that you're going to be successful, try it out, see what happens. You know, what you're essentially doing is you're gaining evidence that this anxious thought or whatever you were fearful about is a irrational thought and not real. Sometimes the worry thoughts are scarier than the actual reality. So I worry that, you know, I am not going to pass this test. So I study for the test and I'm worried that I'm not going to pass this test, even though I'm prepared, even though I've studied. And then I go past the test. Well, what you're doing is you're conquering your fear and you're showing yourself, hey, you know, when I push past this, I'm now taking back control of my life and anxiety isn't controlling me. I'm not going to avoid the things that make me anxious, but I am going to meet them head on. I'm going to not allow anxiety to bully me. I'm going to go ahead and prove it, prove myself, prove that these thoughts are just scary thoughts, that they're not really rational or likely to happen. Number seven is self-compassion. Be kind to yourself. Be loving to yourself. Talk kindly to yourself because a lot of times when we don't speak compassionately to ourselves, we allow doubt and fear to creep in. But if we're compassionate and treat ourselves and think compassionately about ourselves, we're more likely going to overcome whatever anxiety because we're not that hard on ourselves. We're not being hard on ourselves. So let's say we study for the test and we don't get the grade that we want, but we can be compassionate with ourselves and say, you know what, better luck next time. And it is proven to ourselves that failure isn't something that should be feared, but something that we should embrace. So self-compassion is very important. Number eight, 
living a healthy lifestyle. You know, there are lots of benefits from exercising, eating healthy, and thinking healthy thoughts, like waking up with gratitude. So if you make those a part of your lifestyle, if you make doing those things healthy habits, then that's what's going to show up when you're faced with the difficult time where you're seeing more symptoms of anxiety. So you're going to really rely on what habits you have set for yourself. So making a healthy habits, a healthy lifestyle is going to put the anxiety at bay. So in conclusion, anxiety can be very useful in alerting us to danger, right? But when it's excessive, it can really get in the way of our daily functioning. Our anxiety grows the more we avoid the things that trigger us. So we must deal with it head on. We must understand how it works and how we can treat it. So the tips that I shared with you are a great start. But if your anxiety seems to linger, seek professional help in your local community, make sure you seek out a mental health provider to help walk alongside you in remedying your anxiety. All right, because you deserve to live the life that you want to live. All right. So until next time, enjoy your day on purpose. If you have found this episode helpful, help us grow our audience. By providing us with a five-star review, you help make this podcast visible to others. Help pull others out of a dark space by showing that you care, by sharing this podcast with them. Nothing is better than a friend or loved one who wants you to up-level your life with them. Thanks for tuning in.